Looking beautiful, ladies. Hallelujah. I'm so blessed to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, we celebrate what God has given unto us as women. Um, this word today is very um, personal. Uh, I will be speaking about my journey. I've trusted God for a word, but he kept on bringing to speak about my life, what I went through. I don't know, it's because it's Women's Month or whatever, but when I heard the children speaking here this morning, I realized why God wants me to speak about my journey in life. And um, some of you might have heard it. Some of you know it because you went with me through it. But let God speak to your heart this morning. There might be something, there must be something that you will get out of it. Amen. So pray for me while I share what God has put on my heart. It's not easy to talk about your personal life, no? but I feel that God has a plan. Amen. Uh, Jeremiah 29. That's everyone's favorite, favorite verse. Wherever you look on Facebook, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It is plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Already there it tells you there's a prospering, but there's a process because it says it's not going to harm you. It's not just I've got plans for you and it's going to all be roses. There's a plan, you will prosper, but whatever you're going to go through will not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The word hope there is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. Then in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So that tells you the plans that God has for you, there's a journey. And after this journey, how will you seek him? With all of your heart. Because while in this journey, you will be growing, you will be going through things. There will be highways, there will be byways. There will be mountains, there will be valleys. There will be dead ends, there will be detours. But you are on this journey. And God will see you through. He will see you through. So, starting with that, okay, I grew up in a house where my parents were pastors. They served God with all of their heart. We were five children. My mother had five children. The eldest baby, she passed away when she was six months old. On earth, we are four, okay? So, I grew up spending more time with my eldest brother. So I was a little bit on the wild side. You know when you have brothers, you are wild as a girl because they make you wild, okay? Jump from trees, always have scars on your legs, go through difficult things with them. I remember you taught me how to ride a bike. My toe went into the chain and that my toe was hanging and the ice cream guy had to stop him to show him I'm bleeding because to him it was always a joke when I cry. And then they had to call my mother. But I was very wild, went through many things with him. He learned, my brother taught me a lot of stuff. And because of being wild, I always liked to have boys as friends. Because it was easy for me when his friends came over, I was part of the friends. Okay, so I always had boys for friends. But I was also misjudged because of that. When you're, you're always with boys, you know how the other people will say, you don't go to that girl, she likes boys. They think you, you know, you're into boys. But they were my friends. So growing up, I knew my parents were saved. When I was five years old, my parents sent me to Transkei. Can you imagine that? Five years old, Transkei, in a bus. <laughs> so when I was five, I had my first passport. I went to Transkei. I went to go to school there because there was no English schools on the side. Those just had to go to with a passport to Transkei. So I was there in Aikopo. And uh, I could speak the language when I was small now. It was gone. <laughs> I was only there for a few months. But in those stages, I, I remembered quite a lot how we used to swim in the river and chase the cows. And it was just, for me, a fun place to be. 
And then my mother took me out because apparently when she came to visit one day, she saw that in our food there's worms. And she was like, how can I put my child in this school? And then she took me out. And from there I came to Hudwop, which is in Park. I was schooling there for a while. And uh, while I was at Hudwop, I was wild. My parents always got phone calls to come to school. I fell from something. I ran into something. I remember jumping from a flight of stairs. I ended at the end, and I twisted my ankle terribly. It was just swollen like that. And then from there, my mother said, no, this child is, no, 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 no. So they took me to St. Dominic's. So when I was at St. Dominic's, those was the apartheid years. Now you must know, eh? even if you look from a satellite, you will be able to see me. Because, you know, <laughs> it was just white. <laughs> so I was at uh, St. Dominic's for a while. And uh, was tough. Uh, at St. Dominic's, I was doing very well in athletics because I was born to run. That time, I did not even know what's running and what. You just know when they send your marks, get it, go, you go. And so I would always beat the people, you know. And, but when it comes to giving awards, my name wasn't mentioned. And I didn't understand it because I was young. And I don't know, like nothing happened about it. They would give awards to the child that I then won, the people I won. But I never got the award. And then, okay, so for me as a child, you forget about it. You were just like wondering that moment. And um, I remember one day they told us to go pick up papers. And I went to pick up papers. And uh, you know this palm tree? Né? It pricked me in my leg. And I think it had a poison in it. And while I was sitting in class, the leg just got swollen like that. And um, after that, my mother said, no, I must take this child. Something is wrong at the school. Apparently, those years, Satanism was a big thing in St. Dominic's with the young girls. So um, I was, like, out for a month. And, but the treatment was just horrible. It was nuns. It was just horrible, the treatment. And then um, I remember one day the transport didn't come and fetch us. It was just a friend, and uh, our neighbor and me, so we were alone in the yard. It's getting dark, there's no one coming to fetch us. Now remember those years, our parents doesn't have a phone number, they don't even have cars. So now you, need, you must just stand there and know that my, my mother's going to come and fetch me, even if it's what time, she will come. So we just stayed there, and we started eating out of the dustbin, so we could find at least bread and some apples, just wash it off, and then we ate some apples. While we were waiting, and then my mother came, and my mother came, yo. You know in the movies when the tears go like that? That what happened. I was crying because I saw my mother. And also, the reason why my mother had to take me out, I started getting bad manners because, you know, you with white people, they have the slang, they have their ways of throwing their hair and stuff. So I wanted my hair straight. She had to buy the tharmakam, uh, you know that, yeah, the, yeah. And she had to comb my hair, and then I was eating my hair. You know how it goes. And I just had bad manners. And she said, no. She took me out. I came back to Hudwap. At Hudwap, I started doing very well in athletics. He's not here, but he, he was the athletic teacher those years. So I was doing very, very well. We used to train every day at, um, at the stadium. So one day while we were training, so I ran to the toilet alone, and... Uh, while I was in the toilet, I came out, there was a man standing like this, waiting for me. And I just shrinked, you know, and I went down. And already you know the, the mind of this guy. And I just went down on my feet and I was sitting there. And as I'm sitting, I could hear God saying, his legs is open. You know, he's standing and he, he's like, you, you know, he's coming with a plan. So he's standing with his legs open, and I just ducked through his legs. And as I ducked, I ran for my life. When I came home, I was crying because he done nothing to me, but the intention of the thing that he wanted to do felt like he'd done it already to me. And for me, that just paralyzed me. It just tranquilized me. It was like I was out for a few days. I just stayed at home, didn't want to go anywhere. And then... Okay, life went on from primary school, from Hudu. My mother sent me to Westbury. 
uh, when I came there, there was a superintendent. We called him babies. Now, apparently, the, you call the fat cook babies, ne? So he was most big, so they called him babies, yeah. I, in Pretoria, they called them babies. But this man was a psychopath, if I can say that. Because when I came there, we used to have church on Sunday, and he was like a minister in the church. And he then ministered. And in the ministry, he says, we've got a beautiful lady that joined our school, and she's got this body like I don't know what. He's explaining my, the shape of my body in church. And I already felt, what's wrong with this man? He's sick, you know? And so already warning signs came up for me. And every time this man would always want to call me to the office. I was clever. I would take someone with. And he would look like irritated when I bring someone with. And you know when you're small, when you're young, it's like big people don't be, won't believe you if you tell them this man is like that or whatever. You know how it goes. So... I always took someone with, and I already knew, and I told my brother, because he was also at the school, and then my brother said, I must just stay away from him, because my brother was a matric that year when I went to that school. So afterwards, they killed a guy from Westbury here in Boxburg. So now the guys, the guys from Westbury want to revenge the Boxburg people in Westbury, because someone killed the guy here. Remember those days, it was Club Enligan, eh? This guy was killed there. So... We were the people from Boxburg in, in uh, Westbury. So our, our brothers couldn't stay there anymore. They had to now drive in because they were matric. They couldn't go to another school. Now they had to drive in from Reicha Park to school every day. So I still stayed there. But it was terrible because these people were out for revenge. They wanted to kill someone from Boxburg as well. But in that time, it was just tough. It was like you, us from Boxburg, we had to stay together. And... Um, I, I then said to myself, no. It's like God told me, become friends with this gangsters, you know. And I got one that was soft, and I started to become this guy's friend. I asked him, you know, you guys are supposed to look after us, you know. Started to make friends with him. And we became friends, and he started looking after us. And after that, for a while, it went well at Westbury. But for me, it started getting challenging because... Yesterday, it's the first time I read it. I had a newspaper clipping that I saw because I was doing well in athletics. So I saw a newspaper clipping where I was in. I was 13 years old in that newspaper clipping. And I saw that I was the South African champion of the 100 and 200 meters for the schools. I didn't even know that I only saw that yesterday. <laughs> but I was like shocked. And after that, with doing so well in athletics, I had terrible feedback from the people. And um, now Westbury, you know, most the gangsterism is high there, okay? So now what happened, the gangsters was getting angry because I was beating their girlfriends in running now. And they started threatening me. So one day they told me that if I'm going to run, they will come and shoot, so I'm not supposed to run. So I decided I'm not going to run. I was hiding in the hostel. And, uh, you know, everyone will go out to school. I was hiding in the hostel. And then they locked, and I was in the room. Eh? My friends knew I was in the room, but no one was there. So as they, as they went out, they asked the people, where's Liesl at the sports now? Where's Liesl? And the children said, no, she's not feeling well. And the teacher says, I don't believe it. And then he came with the police because someone told them she was threatened. So they came with the police. They came to fetch me. So now I'm being escorted with the police to the stadium, really, and uh, run, but you run in fear, you know? You run and you win, but it's all in fear. And that is how my day had to go by. The other time I had to go and run, my parents had to escort me because it was also an issue to the stadium and to go and run. So in Westbury, my time was, it was tough because girls would, like, have things against me. They would send their boyfriends and say, they must go do something to me. Okay, so one day I remember I had a bad experience. Uh, now in the middle was the wall where they would watch the movies, and this is the girls' dormitories and that's the boys' dormitories. So I went from the girls to want to go watch the movies, and as I went to go and watch the movies, a guy grabs me out of the dark and he pulls me into more darkness, and I'm screaming, but no one will hear because the movies is loud, ne? 
And I'm screaming, man. I'm screaming to the, no one's listening. And this guy is out for it, young. He's hitting me. And he has a knife or thing. And he's forcing me. He says, yeah, I'm going to do this and that. Do you telling me what he's going to do? And in that time, there's guys walking past. And I'm screaming to the guys, help me, help me. But those were the guys that were saved at the hostel. They know the Bakirda guys, you know, they saved. So they were just focused. No, this is maybe a girlfriend and boyfriend argument. They're not going to help. And um, so I'm standing there, but it's like God is telling me, you can run. Nah? He's telling me softly, you can run. So I told him quickly, I said to him, okay, listen, you know what? I'll do whatever, just leave me. I'll submit, leave me. And as he left me, I turned around and I ran. And as I ran, he, he took the knife, but he stabbed, but he stabbed the top. But I ran for my life, man. And he couldn't, he couldn't catch me. But for me, it also felt like he done it, you know. You, they called in police. It was a terrible night because they were, I couldn't even speak. They had to check me if I was okay. And uh, found, no, everything was intact. And the next day, I wrote um, exams. It was science that I wrote. I got five out of 300. They had to cancel that and give me an average because of, my emotional state was totally all over. And my parents had to bring me back because emotionally I was out of it. And um, from there, I didn't do good that year. I failed that year, okay? And then it happened to me once again, again in Reicher Park. I was walking with Blom. She was still small. And then I came from the shop and also another guy grabbed me and pulled me in and I told Blom to run because I knew if I'm going to run, I'm going to run her away. So I told her, you run, she's small, you run. And I'm trying to negotiate. And every time it's like, God is, is with me. He's with me. There's the words, no harm will come to me. So every time he's with me and he's telling me run and I'm running. And because now what's helping me, this guy is drunk, he's high. So he's throwing me with stones, but it's going that way and I'm gone. And then for months, I also just could not survive. But then I told my mother, you know what, this is, why is this happening to me? Then she had to come forth and say it also happened to her. It happened to her in a train where a guy pulled her in a toilet. Now you remember when my started in the toilet. And this guy pulled her in a toilet and she, she was screaming and no one else. But while he was closing her mouth, she bit him so badly that he had to leave her. And then she said, you know what, I was actually supposed to tell you and pray for you so that God could keep you. But I said, but he did keep me. He did keep me. And in this I realized that there's things that we as parents go through. And then we try, last week when pastor said, there's stuff that you need to talk about. You need to talk about with your children or your family or with someone so that you can release that so it does not come on your children. Because it's like that thing follows your children, your family, if you don't deal with whatever is wrong in your life. And each and every one of us has, has something in their life that, that you don't want to talk about. But you need to deal with that because it chases your child afterwards. And it also happened to my sister once, only once, but for me three times. But I mean, that thing was there until my mother spoke about it, okay? And then after that, okay, it was fine. Then I failed the year in Westbury because it wasn't a good year. And then I don't regret it because today I have my husband. I met him <laughs> when I came here. So then I came to Westrand. At Westrand, it was going very well. But then I had stalkers. Because I'm an athlete, now you see how the devil in your life just wants to distract you the whole time. He wants to pull you away from what God has in store. He's got a plan for you. There's a plan made out for your life. But the devil wants to pull the whole time, the whole time. So as I was with the athletics, I had terrible stalkers. It will be married men. Teachers, can you believe me? Can you believe me? A teacher sends me, please go to this teacher's class and go fetch a book. When I got there, the teacher's alone. There's no book. He wants to see me. He wants to date me. Really a teacher. Now, really. So I was like, what is going on with these people? They're sick, you know? I just said, this one guy that was a stalker, he was a gangster. And this guy was like, 
dangerous man. I was afraid of this guy. Wherever I would be, this guy would be next to me. Wherever, at the pool, here's this guy. Walking the street. So, and I was always scared, timid and scared. And I told my father, there's a guy bothering me, man. And he said, no, no, don't, don't worry. I'll sort him out. But my father's sorting out was in prayer. And my father used to say, pray against all these things. And then one day I heard they killed the guy. And you know what? I was like running to my father. I was happy. I was like, God, did you know? I said to my, I mean, I said to my father, you know, they killed him. I'm like smiling. And my father's like, okay. <laughs> For me, I just felt relieved because this guy was, he was tormenting me, man. And then there was this one girl, she was a lesbian. Oh, she also tormented me. I actually asked my friends that was boys, please, this woman is tormenting me. Please check her out there. Then they said, no, they're afraid she does karate. Just now they're going to eat. <laughs> and I'm like, what friends are you? What boys are you? No, man, please help me. This woman, even the principal called her in because those years, lesbian, it's illegal. It's illegal. It's still illegal in the Christian, by us as Christians, but... You know, in the world now. But it was illegal, so he said he's going to call the police. And she told the principal, you came, I call the police. I don't care. I love her. And I'm like, oh, no, now I'm afraid. <laughs> this child, she doesn't even worry, you know. So I had to struggle with that. And, you know, then I started doing very well in athletics. I joined um, Germiston, okay? So now, once again, it's in the apartheid years. Here, I am the only woman of color in uh, doing athletics. So when I started it, my mother, uh, my mother's boss told her that um, he's got a trainer for me. So I went there, you know, this child running, got no shoes, bare feet, all of them, they look good. You know, most of the athletes, you can see them on TV, né? showing off with the, the nice tights and whatever. So I'm there bare feet, training with them every day. And they used to beat me because I was now new, still new in that type of training. So while I was training and then I started to get better, now my mother could buy me now spikes and, you know, look a little bit like them. And then when I started to do better and beat them, now in the training I started to beat them. After that, then I just saw these people are not greeting me anymore. Their parents are not greeting me anymore. They treated me totally different. And I was, okay, am I not supposed to beat them? Are they only supposed to beat me? And that just motivated me. But I was someone that would motivate myself in silence. I won't motivate and say, yeah, I, will. I wasn't someone that was a, I will show them. But in my heart, I would say, I'm going to run. This is not going to stop me. Because already in Boxburg, I cannot run because I was black. In Germiston, they're allowing me, but now I must sit with this. So I'd done very well. And I had times where I would break records, then they would deny the record to me. I remember a time I, I had a long jump where I jumped very far, I broke the record for the day. They told me I had a no jump. So I asked them, where, show me, because on the spike you must, must see at the bottom, it's, most, um, it's clay. So you must see, and it's, there's nothing. And they showed me the sign on the right side. I do not tramp with my right side, I'm with my left side. So it's, I did not have the no jump. They said, no jump. No jump. You know why? Just because it was a record. And it was this woman breaking the record. But in all of that, my parents taught me to stay humble. Because for them, being a, a Christian, is, that was a form of humbleness. God will fight the battles for us. You know, it's actually so because, you know, you, you could have been far through all of the, through those things, but people, their decision there. And then uh, uh, I remember uh, running the SA Champs, and everyone was, like, excited for me because I made it to the South African Champs in Bloemfontein. And it was my parents made it, and... Uh, we were there, and then um, we ran, and we, like, had a dip. You know, when you dip, it's like a photo finish. And you know who they gave it to? To the white girl. They gave the first place to the white girl. But God gave me so much favor, and that day when we stood, on, stood by the podium, and they said, uh, I'm second, the crowd booed, and it was 
white people that booed the white girl for getting the first prize because they saw I was the one that got it. And I was surprised because, you know, Bloemfontein and white people, you know, it's, it's worse then. Eh? But they booed and they actually wanted. And I was like, oh God, you truly love me. In those times that I journey that I went through, I thought that God has forsaken me. Because why must I struggle with things in my life? Why is things hard for me? And then um, I had to go through a lot of turmoil. I remember one day we went with a team to Port Elizabeth to go in a run as well. And while we were on the beach, I'm the only, like, when we got on the beach, I said, oh, Lord, I'm the only one here. I can see it, you know. And as we were entering, because the team is excited, we're going to the beach. I'm already like, I know what's going to happen. It wasn't long when people were performing. Get her off. Get her off. Yeah, she doesn't belong here. And then um, I turned around, but what I liked, the whole team turned around, got off, and we went off the beach. But it was something that just hurt me. It started to get to me. I started to hate athletics because of things like this. I started to hate doing what God has created me to do because of things like this. At school, they would tease me for my legs. Yeah, I've got men legs. And then I would be shy and try and hide my legs. Only afterwards, I realized that the legs is meant for a purpose. This legs must, is made for a purpose. This is the legs that I should have to do what I should do. Those are just jealous people. And that is what some people, sometimes in your li life, young people, that's what, if there's something that people are saying about you, know that God has a plan for your life. You do not allow no one to discourage you. When God is, has this plan for you and you are good in whatever God has for you, let no one and nothing discourage you. You stay on the plan and on par with what God has for you. So I just didn't worry anymore. And I, you know, people would say, oh, she thinks she's God of Park Because now I became famous. It's on TV. It's... Um, in the newspapers, I'm always every week because I used to run every week. It's always there. And, but my parents used to keep me humble. There's no such thing as you being the girl, you know. Like if you are the main, there's no such thing. You just had to keep humble and thank God every time. Father is keeping you. And uh, you know what was the most bad times when we had to get um, awards? And now we stand there, all of us standing there, and then they would come and now give awards and they would kiss the girls ne? as they're coming. As they're coming, they're kissing down the row. Now already the whole crowd is looking, what's going to happen to her? Is he going to kiss her? Or Now that already just embarrasses you. It makes you like uncomfortable. Is it me again? You know? And... Um, I would stand there and the whole time pray, give me wisdom, Lord. Why? Because this guy is coming closer to me. They're kissing on the lips and giving. I would just quickly, when he comes, give my hand. Thank you. Because I already know, making it my easy for him. Just give the hand and let him go. Things like that I had to deal with. And um, then I was now the one of the best athletes and they had to give me an award at Jamiston. And I was invited to get the award. When I got there, they gave the award to the person that comes second after me as the sportswoman of the year. And I was, this is blatant. This is now, <laughs> everyone can see it. So it felt like, does God really love me? Does he really have a plan for me? Why am I the only one going through this? But I had strong parents in the Lord. They would encourage me daily. They would give me words of wisdom and encouragement. They would pray for me. So that was one of the awards. Was, that was the award for Jamiston, the club. But then the big award came. And when the big award came, I was also nominated. And when I got there, it was now on top sport. Those years it was top sport. So when I got there, it was a formal event, and then I got the award as a, as a junior sportswoman of the year. So I got the award with Wally Hayward. He was 80 years, that guy, when he ran the comrades. I don't know if you remember him. So he also got the award. So when I got there, everyone has papers in their hands, and I'm like, no, why don't I have a paper? Like, it's like they prepared them to say speeches. And no one prepared me to say a speech. They knew they were going to get the prize, but I didn't know. So now he's calling me up first. And it's like, 
I'm like, no, I don't want to say anything. He says, no, you must say something. But the, when I just got there, I just started saying, I thank God for who he made me. And I thank him for the opportunities he gave me. I just spoke about God. And I thank Jamiston for giving me the opportunity to run. Because I know I could not run in Boxburg. That apparently was the greatest speech ever. <laughs> then I realized God is always with me. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. And he will not embarrass you. You think you embarrassed, you feel like, but it's not what he's, what he's up to. But okay, long story short, then I got, uh, found my husband in grade 11, met my husband, and we were close till now, <laughs> and um, we got saved. After we got saved, we, we had a youth group, and this youth group was very close to us, always at our house, most of you are here, always at our house, went through very... Good times, grew in the Lord together, and then uh, we learned a lot of things from each other. And when we got married, I struggled to fall pregnant, okay? So nothing was happening. And I remember, I think Nadine just got married two years after me, right? And then uh, Nadine fell pregnant immediately with Tariq. And I was like shocked, yo, how this happened, because we like friends. And then... Afterwards, Tariq just became this baby to everyone, you know, where he, he just came to fill whatever void was in our hearts. And then he was, she just became a joy to all of us. So in that journey, things are not happening for me, getting pregnant. And now I'm like, okay, it's fine. Let me not concentrate on those things. Let me just go on in life. Then um, eventually... I went to a, a, the doctor and she done a test, a blood test. And then she told me, oh, you're pregnant. And I'm like, really excited. Am I pregnant? Yes. So what they done now in church, because everyone, you know what happens in life, those years, I don't know, not now, when you were struggling with something, everyone wants to prophesy, because everyone knows I'm struggling to have a baby. Everyone wants to prophesy on you. They call you to come every time when there's a prayer, I want to pray with you. Afterwards, I didn't want to go to church anymore because everyone wants to pray for me every time when I get there. So I remember I wasn't there one day, and then they called pastor, come to the front, and Wicks was now my, me. So Wicks also had to come. <laughs> and then they were praying for Wicks' womb to bring forth. <laughs> That's now me. He's now standing but it was like, you see how it was. People were like, now, there's nothing else to pray. It's just now oral and nasal, oral and They're just praying for us. So I, I, I started resenting prophecies. And that was me and God at that time. Okay, it wasn't good, but it was my heart at that time because I didn't see the fulfillment because every time someone just comes, so I didn't want to hear anything. And then one day, uh, I got the blood test, said I was pregnant. So now everyone is excited. It's being announced in church now. Hey, Oral and Lisa is going to have a baby. And wow, you know, most everyone. So I, when I eventually went to the doctor for my checkup, now to see what the baby was doing, there was no baby. But every sign was there. There was a stomach, whatever, but there was no baby. And it was supposed to be four months. There was nothing, nothing. I felt forsaken because it was announced in church. I felt embarrassed. It was announced in church, Lord. You allowed them to announce it in church, yet you knew there's nothing going on, you know. So I had my own time with the Lord. I laid and I just cried before the Lord because I felt like he forsaken me. But he didn't, I know, because I could feel his love. And um, I couldn't go back to church because how am I going to tell the people that there's nothing, you know? Thank you. Because how am I going to tell the people there's nothing? And we just left, and I told Pastor Errol, what are we going to say? And Pastor Errol said, no, just leave it. You know, we're not going to say anything. Now, that time I thought when you give your tithes and offering and when you're faithful in those things, then you're like secure. Everything was going to go right in your life. 
But I did not know that God was preparing me for days like this in that time so that I could be sensitive to people that's going through these things, you know. So he was just preparing me for a time such as this. But that time it was difficult because I had to arise from that situation of embarrassment. For me it was embarrassment. But God was still ministering through our lives. And then um, we let it go. You know, afterwards people don't worry. They assume you lost the baby because you didn't say anything. And then I had to deal with my life in my weakness. I had to deal with my heart so that my heart did not become hard before the Lord. I had to keep my heart soft so that he could still speak through me. And I could still hear his voice because I was so desperate for him. And desperate for the promise of having a child because already being born as a woman, there's a promise yeah, there's a womb, so there's a promise. So I had to become so desperate and keep myself, my posture in the Lord, and know that he will win my battles. Because when you look at the life of Moses, how he won his battles was in a posture of raised hands. So sometimes our posture, we do not know how our posture is, uh, but we should trust the process that God is taking us through. And even when David found himself in times of trouble in the cave, he was surrounded by people. I realized that the cave is not a place where you're isolated. The cave is found in people. That's where God has a cave you, and the cave is people. You, he hides you in people. So I could not keep myself separated anymore and, and lying at home. I had to come back and come to church and serve the Lord. And after that, after a while, we forgot about it. Because now for what came easy for other people, pray babies did not come easy for us. So um, after that, I fell pregnant. After a while, I fell pregnant. But I didn't know I was about three months. I found out I was pregnant. And uh, we rejoiced. We were happy in the Lord. And then the baby grew about until five months. And then things went wrong. I remember Elmi came that morning. And I told her, something is not feeling right in my pregnancy. And she said, no, maybe it's normal. Maybe it's just the feeling that you have. And that night I told pastor, something is not right. Um, something is not feeling right in my body. And then the morning I went to the doctor, came back. She just gave me tablets and I slept. The afternoon when I woke up, I went to the toilet and then down came the, the, the sack that the baby lies in, you know. And uh, I knew this was the thing, the, the sack where the baby lies in, because I could see how it looks. It's thin. Nah? And then um, Pastor's granny, she was old man, and she helped me from the toilet to go to the bed, and the thing burst. Then they called the ambulance, went to the hospital, got to the hospital. They lied to me. They told me, no, you just have a bladder infection. And I'm like, I'm not confused. This is not a bladder infection, you know. But they know you just have a blood infection. So I'm like, does a blood infection come out, you know? And then um, they told me, no, they, I'm just going to lie for a few days. Now the baby's going to be fine. So now hope arises again. Once you're down and now they give you hope again. So I'm in hospital lying. And then the next day they told me, no, I'm losing the baby. So they're giving me now pains for the baby to come out. So as I... Went through that, the baby's not coming and whatever. So we had a terrible time. The people I hear that went through, they know exactly. It was a terrible time. Uh, we left. Pastor had to minister that morning when he heard that the baby is going to go. But he stood his ground and still ministered the word of the Lord to the church. And then um, after a while, nothing happened. So now the baby's not coming down. Now the nurses come and they tell me, are you really pregnant? So now I'm like, Lord, am I here again? What is going on? What confusion is happening? No, because why is the baby not coming? You know how the nurses can just be rude. I had a diary. That diary had deep words in it. That diary had the way my heart was through my process. And then, um, okay, the baby didn't come. And then it was like a few days after they gave me the pains. Nothing is happening. There's nothing. And so they're confusing me now. now. I don't know, am I pregnant, am I not? Because <laughs> nothing is coming, you know. 
And then I remember later afternoon, um, so I had a visitor, and then when she left, I went to the toilet. And as I sat on the toilet, something fell out. And when I looked, it was the baby. And um, he was moving, and so I picked him up, and I held him in my hands. But you know, the beauty of all of it is that God kept me. I was smiling. I was happy to see him. Because now I know I can fall pregnant. I'm fruitful. Something is happening. So I was happy to see him. I spent some time with him. He was too small to save. He was just a tiny five-month-old baby boy. You could see it's a boy. I was kissing him. He was responding, but I knew it wasn't going to be long than he's going to go, you know. So um, I was pressing the help sign. No one came. So eventually I had to wait for someone to come in the toilet to say, go call the nurses. And then they took me to my bed. They had to cover me so no one can see that there's a baby now here because he's now got a pink color. He's like, you could see through his uh, skin. And when I got there, it was a process. The afterbirth didn't want to come. Things was just not working right. But I was excited about the baby. And at the night, I was so blessed because my whole family came that night to come and visit me. So all of I was excited for them just to see him, you know. And then uh, he was lying next to me in the dish, you know, those silver dishes. And then they came and they saw him. I remember Pastor Errol also came, but he, when he came, he was so upset. He said, this is not how children are supposed to be born, you know. And then he just left. But for us, it was, we've got a baby. And... Um, Went through that process. It was terrible. They put me in a ward where babies are born, where I'm losing babies. I lost mine. I'm lying with people that's getting babies, you know. So I'm the only one in the ward that there's no baby. Everyone has babies. But I had to keep myself sane. But you could feel the prayers of the saints. It just kept me. So anyway, went through that process, terrible process. I had to go home and I had to go and face the people again and had to go, uh, you know, you've had to go through that process. So uh, I stood there, faced the people and became strong again. God gave me strength. And it happened a few months after that. Fell pregnant again, excited, and then went to the doctor. There's no heartbeat. And now, imagine how I feel by now. Now I felt like, really, maybe I'm not your favorite child. Like, maybe there's nothing for me. And you know what? You get people that tell you, no, maybe the children are not for you guys. Where has that ever been said? Huh? That children is not for you. Who said that? And people will say that to you in your face, like, no, children are not for you. Maybe they're not for you because children can also be problems if they grow up and stuff. I'm like, no, I don't believe in that. So um, I remember that day. I was now angry with the Lord. I see Wix is looking because he knows he came to me with the Bible. <laughs> he came to me and he wanted to encourage me in the word. And I'm like, Wix, I don't even want to hear one word from that Bible right now. Right now, I just want to lie on my bed and just. And he was, I'm praying for you. I said, pray for me, but not a word from that Bible. I didn't want to hear anything. And I was lying there and um, I had to go to hospital because now the child has to be taken out now. And it was a terrible process, um, terrible. That was now the worst process because I remember after the, they took the baby out, you came, Clint, came to visit, and I was lying in my vomit, you know. I was like, it was, they didn't take care of me. And when I woke up, I was, I had like, I almost made like this, the way I had a stroke, my face would do that signs, ne? It would just go by itself, and they said it was the anesthetic or something. And I just, I didn't want to hear anything of God. But in that way, I didn't want to hear of God. The women are crying in the ward. I would get down and tell them, God loves you. He's going to make a way for you. Don't worry. I would pray with them. Then afterwards, I would tell myself, but why am I talking about him yet? I don't want to hear anything. He's not, you know, he, he does not have plans for me. He does not love me. Why am I talking about him? And then I went through that process. The baby was now out. I had to recover. Now I have to decide, am I going to stay down weak or am I going to become strong through this experience? 
So a few months after that, pregnant again. And then it was Lemuel. And, uh, <laughs> but while I was pregnant with Lemuel, I started bleeding. Okay, so that's a bad sign, Mosnab. Went to the gynae, the gynae says, no, you mustn't walk on stairs. It's a possible miscarriage. I said, this child is going nowhere. This child will be born. I'm not going to lose this child. And I started to arise in my faith. I stood strong. I put my name. I took Sarah's name out and I put my name there. And I took the promise of the Lord to Sarah. And I said, that will happen to me. I am going to stand strong. This child is going nowhere. I said, Lord, you made the womb and this womb will bring forth. It will not lose. I said, look at my dogs in my yard. They get puppies. Not one of them are lost. All of them are there. Am I not more better than them? Did you not create me higher than them? I would stand on the word of the Lord. I did not even go to the gynae while I was bleeding. I trusted the Lord. I acted as normal as though nothing was wrong. Yet everything was wrong because the signs was there. And when I eventually went to the gynae, he says to me, Yo, I don't know what's happening. You're bleeding, but there's nothing wrong with the child. The child is safe and the child is growing. And then he just gave me some tablets and it helped. And the next month it started again, but I stood on the word of the Lord. You know, what wasn't nice for me is the fact that I couldn't celebrate my pregnancy of my children. I always had to hide and keep it quiet because I didn't want anything to happen to my children. So now I had to come to a place where I had to hide and keep it quiet so that no one would know I'm pregnant. I couldn't even celebrate my pregnancy like normal women celebrates their pregnancies. And after a while, it was about six months, then I saw, okay, the stomach is growing and there's life. And I started becoming happy and now saying, I'm really pregnant. There's really a baby in me. And everything just went well. And um, so now I was praying for the child to stay. At the end, I had to, I had to pray for the child to come out. <laughs> because I'm overdue now. <laughs> I, had, I was overdue. And then uh, I gave birth to Lemuel. He had to come with the forceps and whatever. I'm glad he's not here because I think he would have taken it. You know, it would have been hard on him. Um, so I... Uh, gave birth to Lemuel, and in that, what was a miracle baby for us, um, we rejoiced and whatever, but still my rejoicing, I limited myself because I was like, I'm too, I'm too afraid to rejoice too much because just how something happens to him. Né? So I was like a little bit just calm as though it was normal. And um, through that, there's Lemuel, look how big is he. And what helped is that how Lemuel then made the coming of Cairo very easy because I at, at least could enjoy Cairo, you know, the pregnancy of Cairo. But through all of that, I realized that God is so faithful. He never leaves and he never forsakes. He puts people around you that will cover you in prayer. That's why you cannot be isolated on yourself. We need each other. Your answer is in the person next to you. This is just a snippet of what I went through, but I know he put me through all these stages because today when someone comes to me and says I'm going through that, I can feel you. I feel, feel you, Kamala, when you went through your, I could feel your heart because now you will trust me. You understand? So the things God allows us to go through is for his plan to be seen in our lives and for the plans always for someone else. Sometimes you think it's for you. He does not like you and everything is going well with everybody else. But no, he's got a plan and he's got a purpose for each and every one of us. We should not isolate ourselves or whenever something goes wrong and find ourselves in a weak space, we want to disappear. We just want to be alone. We don't want to speak to people, but people is where he is. He's there. He does not just, just come out of the sky and come and save you. He comes through people. People will be the one that speaks life into you. He will bring someone that will just come and lift you up. And you know what happened the other times when I lost the babies. I was okay. Ne? Uh, last year still I lost one in July, but I was okay. 
you don't understand it, okay, I don't understand, but I'm okay because I'm in a better place now. I'm matured, I know who I am in the Lord, and I'm trusting the process that he's putting us through. So I just wanted to encourage you this morning with, the, with my testimony. I don't know, I hope it touched someone's life. And just to show you that God has a plan, no matter what you're facing, keep your eyes on the Lord and know that when he places you on higher ground, he can trust you because now the higher ground is not for you a place to perform and show off, but it's a place where you are matured and you can deal with situations. You can deal with what people are going through. He gives you the strength uh, to pray for people and to feel their pain. And when you pray for them, you do it out of your heart. And when you search him, it's a searching out of your heart. It's no longer from a higher level where you don't know him. You know him deeply now. Now he's now father. He's no more God. He's now father. And you trust him as father. And you, will, and you trust him in every situation that you're going through because he rewards. I'm telling you, I see the reward of the Lord in my life. We see it daily. We go through so many. He's blessed us with so many things. And we are so grateful. People don't understand Sometimes when we travel or do stuff like that, oh, you guys are rich. No, it's the favor of the Lord because every time we have traveled, we did not have a cent. Not, I'm, I'm not lying, not a cent. God provided every single time we have traveled. And he was so faithful. We could take our children places because of the faithfulness of God. He rewards your suffering. He rewards your pain. So don't go to a place of isolation when you are in pain or in suffering and doubt him. You know, the first thing that we should repent of is unbelief. Because sometimes we say we believe in God, but we don't. When we say we believe that God will make a way, no, we make our own way. You go out there and you make your own way. You have your plans. There's a time you just become silent and trust him with everything that you have and repent from unbelief because I had to repent and say, Lord, I am sorry that I did not trust you. I am sorry that I did not trust you. And yet I saw you came through this morning and all that said about the evidence. Yes, there's evidence. There is evidence that he comes through every single time. And sometimes you feel that you are, you are the lower one. You feel embarrassed by all the things that you're going through. That thing is not for you. It's to bless someone else. Someone else needs to hear your testimony. Someone else needs to hear what God has pulled you through. You cannot become silent in these days. These are days where we need to speak what is on our hearts. God wants to deliver us from the things that are keeping us bondage because you know it's just darts that the enemy throws at you and it feels like it's paralyzed you. It wants to silence you but no God wants you to speak up because that thing that he brought you through is for someone else to bless someone else. Amen. I hope you were blessed by that. Amen.